Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. And my name is Brendan Bigley. Uh, how's it going? Good. I like the idea that there are two Brendans we've never addressed it before. <laughs> it's like an ice climber scenario. <laughs> it's really hard to settle on a top five when there's two BBs hollering at you for <laughs> vampire survivors. Yeah, BBBB. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> You How's said, it like, going? vampire survivors? Just, like, a horde of BBs? I, I was just thinking of, like, what was I arguing against a few weeks ago? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Uh, yeah. How's it going? It's going pretty well. It's going pretty well. Uh, I drove for, like, five hours yesterday, so I'm, like... Oh, nice. I woke up this morning, I was like, I don't have to drive at all. Um, but it was nice. It was it was, uh, it was was a, a friend of ours' birthday, Callie, uh, who hosted the Persona episode. Happy birthday, Callie. Happy, Happy birthday, Capricorn Callie. season. Yes. So we drove up to the Hudson Valley in upstate New York, which is very nice. It was a nice thing to do. And it snowed a little bit yesterday. It snowed for the first time this year, uh, which was nice. And I, I, I just really appreciated, like, feeling winter for the first time, you know? Yeah. Alternatively, yesterday was one of the first days in a stretch of, like, 10 days in Chicago where the sun was at all visible. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, oh, yes. Dude, vitamin D? Are you kidding Dude, me? Dude, vitamin D? Photosynthesize, yeah. you know? <laughs> I was about, about. <laughs> I was about to describe how much I enjoy my gummy vitamin D vitamins. I'm like, we gotta move on. What, <laughs> do, what does this show become? <laughs> it's gaming. It's um, gaming. Okay, I'll just, I'll, you know what? No segue at all. I'll talk about what I'm playing. I'm playing Gran Turismo Seven, the real driving simulator for the Sony PlayStation Five. You sort of alluded to this as a threat almost. You perceived it as a threat. All I said was vroom and then sent you a nice little cute car emoji. And it was the the car from Drive My Car. Oh, that's true. Okay. That, <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe I, I jumped the gun there. <laughs> I, I do like perceiving vroom as a threat, though. <laughs> yeah. like, like a really like big, scary, burly man going vroom. It's like, oh, shit. Don't fuck with vroom. that guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like a gust of wind. Like, vroom. Um, <laughs> it's, I, uh, it's very uh, foos. You know, I'm really yeah, it, the exact. You know where my brain's at. Um, <laughs> I really love what <laughs> cars have have meant to us over the years. Because yeah. I, I feel like, or car games specifically. Because like, and I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about Gran Turismo. Because I've never played it, so I'm like yeah. totally. I, I'm I'm the prime co-host for this segment because I, I I'm interested, but I don't know. So uh-huh. there you go. Yeah. But I feel like whenever we've talked about like Forza or Need for Speed more recently, it always comes with this caveat of like neither of us like, care at all about cars. And like that's not like a game we would normally go for. It's so outside of what we normally play that it becomes like niche and indie to us. And it's like <laughs> yeah. the most mainstream thing ever. Yeah. It's like us showing up with like a cape at a Super Bowl party, like being like, oh, this is actually kind of fun. It's like, yeah, <laughs> everyone's watching it. What is this? <laughs> So anyway, I just wanted to yeah. address that. No, yeah. no, I think I think you're totally right. I think that's a good way of going into it. Um, yeah, so I, I talked about Need for Speed Unbound uh, last week or two weeks ago or something. And essentially, it was just like, I'm having a really hard time with the driving. It's not. It doesn't really feel responsive in the way I wanted to. I know it's like a very difficult game. Um, and I've talked to other people who've played it who kind of shared the same sentiment. It's like, oh, yeah, there's a lot going on here that's really good. But like the driving is really difficult for some reason. Um, and, and I think it's a lot of just like you need to invest a lot of time and effort into your cars to make them feel better. So 
so I talked about it and then kind of like offhandedly mentioned, oh yeah, there's a Gran Turismo that came out last year that like I totally missed because in the wake of Forza Horizon 5, which is a game that you and I absolutely adored, Gran Turismo felt like, why would I play that? You know, because sure. Forza Horizon is like everything you would ever want in a, a racing game, in a car game at all. Um, yeah, it strikes a nice balance of like being in the weeds enough for like car enthusiasts to like yeah. enjoy that side but it's also like kind of crazy taxi enough yeah. to please us so it's it's a nice overall experience yeah and as I, as I mentioned in that need for speed episode which is ironic because that game is by criterion who used to make the burnout series like the forza horizon games have totally taken taken the place of burnout in my mind like for me the forza horizon series is what i will go to if i ever have that like need for speed um <laughs> but uh but you know b- between like the actual just straight up you're on a track racing in that game all the way to the open world i'm just like driving through cactuses to rack up points to like finding ramps out in the world to the like kind of wilder races that you can do that are just you know like dirt tracks or through you know mountains and jungles and forests and things like that like that breath and that scope of what that game has to offer encapsulates like everything that i would ever be interested in when it comes to a car game so it's like why would you play anything else but i don't know i've been curious about gran turismo for a really long time i i played the ps2 one i think that was gran turismo 3 or 4 if i'm not mistaken it came like i don't want to say packed in with my ps2 but i remember i got it like pretty early on in the ps2's life cycle and it it wasn't a thing i was interested in at all which makes me think it was like a pack-in game uh <laughs> and i played it a little bit and like kind of liked it um I, I did i didn't like fully attach to it um it wasn't honestly until i got the xbox 360 which did come i confirmed with a, a pack and get two pack in games one of them was marvel ultimate alliance and the other one was yeah. uh, forza motorsport 2 which uh similarly just like sat in the box unplayed for i think like maybe an entire year before a bunch of my friends and i realized that we all got the same xbox with the same pack-in games so when we were like done playing marvel ultimate alliance completely we we're like well we all also have forza motorsport too we might as well hop online and play that together <laughs> yeah. um and had like the best time it was like an epiphany for me it was like oh my god like just straight up racing simulators can be really fun for a multitude of reasons but i think a lot of those games from what i know of them are not super welcoming to new players like generally speaking you kind of need to know what you're doing when you get into them and i had heard that gran turismo 7 had a really interesting tutorial and i was really curious what that meant um by by interesting specifically so i picked it up totally on a whim like to, like for whatever like i i did no research i i looked up i nothing. love that yeah, yeah which is like the time of year for whimless exactly games. yes that was no, totally my whimful thought. whimful games. games yeah whimful games yes <laughs> No, researchless whimful games. <laughs> uh, so I do- I downloaded Gran Turismo 7 and started playing it. And what happens is, you know, very classic or now classic. When, when you're playing or when you're downloading a new game on any new console, usually there will be a little line that says like ready to play. Like you could download a certain portion of it and it's like you can start this right now while we download the rest of it. And sometimes you jump into a game and that means absolutely nothing. Like I remember in um, Star Wars Battlefront 1 or 2, whatever the EA ones specifically, like the, the rebrand of them or the reboots of them, it would say ready to play and then it just would drop 
drop you into a simulator where you're playing as Darth Vader, like just slaughtering people. I was like, I don't need that. That's not what I want to do while I'm downloading the rest yeah. of Star Wars Battlefront. EA is ready to play. Is like, do you want to give us five dollars? Just a screen like yeah. it says that, and then you can play the actual game. So this game, what happens when it's ready to play is you jump into um, what's essentially like a rhythm game that they built into the driving. So they just launch you into a track with a car and you need to hit these gates to the beat of like essentially remixed classical music uh so it's like oh here's like chopin's nocturnes uh (laughs) set to like a four on the floor bass beat and you need to drive fast enough to hit all the gates so you can like complete the song because if you don't hit the gates fast enough or if you hit them off beat you lose points and the song will end early and that's essentially how they teach you the idea of like driving hitting the accelerator on your way into a turn getting off of the accelerator and hitting the brakes into the turn and then hitting the gas again on the way out because unless you start to intuit that which you will weirdly just by playing this weird mini game you can't do it uh so eventually that'll just become intuition and then when the game is on downloading and you jump into it they have all of these really accessible kind of on-ramp features to teach you how to how to drive like not how to play Gran Turismo because this is the real driving scene they really want to teach you how to like drive um and I found a lot of those features to be super helpful for me at least in the in the early hours where I'm in now um maybe not early hours I think I played like 10 or 15 hours of this game already I I can't stop playing it which is (laughs) wild um but the way it works and and the Forza games have had this Forza Horizon also has this, but it has the driving line, which is like a line that you should follow that'll teach you essentially, you know, when you're going into a, a, a turn, you want to be like on the outside of the track. And when you're leaving the turn, you want to kind of veer more to the inside of the track. But it's essentially like this is the optimal route that you could drive around. And if you just follow this line, that is like the best driving you can do. But it's like generally pretty hard to follow because I think for a lot of people, that intuition of when am I supposed to hit the brakes before I'm going into a turn is like like you you would never really know that. And it's and it's even further removed from reality because you're playing a video game. Whereas like if I'm actually driving my real car in real life, I, I know intuitively that car like the back of my hand. I know exactly when I'm supposed to hit the brakes and when I'm not, obviously, because I've never gotten into a car accident while driving that car. Uh, I know when to hit the brakes. Thumbs up. But when you're driving a fake car in a fake place uh, that is you know, <laughs> still photorealistic, but is like, you know, for all intents and purposes, like the the only thing that I have to go on really is the sound of screeching tires and like the, the haptic feedback of the PS5 controller. It's not as easy to intuit where like how fast the car is going and where you're supposed to hit the brakes. So they have a thing that's very similar to the driving line that's this like essentially braking line that's this like kind of big red area where when you get into it is when you have to hit the brakes and the red will fade out into just like the black of the asphalt as you as you essentially slow down enough to take the turn where you want to and i found that in the first like two hours of playing that game just having that on long enough taught me enough about how i'm supposed to like see tracks as i'm driving on them well enough to then turn that feature off which is i think like honestly like good sudoku is a great analog for this like good sudoku like the idea is to eventually start turning off those features so you start to drive more intuitively and start to understand how to drive more intuitively it it feels so much to me like just the best versions of tutorials it's like you're just going to learn by doing and by continuing to do that you will eventually actually get better like you're actually learning a skill 
which I haven't felt in a game in a long time. Like maybe Elden Ring is like adjacent to that. I feel like the the act of playing a FromSoft game is like the further in you get to them, the more you can kind of just intuit the world without needing to, you know, constantly be saving or constantly be like preparing for every single fight. You can kind of take things more head on because you kind of know what the world is capable of. I, I think it's one of the brilliant things about Elden Ring is the further into that game you get, the more brazen you feel because you've taken down so many horrifying things. Weirdly enough, that is how I feel playing Gran Turismo at this point is like I'm I'm far enough into the game. I've unlocked enough cars. I've like gone and like tuned them up to like settings that I didn't even know I cared about. And now I'm I'm just like kind of launching into races and having a great time without really needing to worry about the actual like driving sim of it all. And that that by itself, I think, makes it kind of miraculous. Like it's it's wild enough that the driving feels so good and so intuitive that I I'm just like enjoying the act of driving in the game. The other entire half of it that is like completely wild to me is the progression and the ways in which the game speaks to you as the player, because the whole vibe is everyone in this game loves cars like completely <laughs> unironic, like completely earnestly. Everyone loves cars. So like much. Forza kind of. Yeah. Yes. Like yeah. like Forza, but to a completely different degree. It like I feel like Forza <laughs> is like we love cars and also we're really cool. And Gran Turismo is like, no, 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 cars are our gods. And we <laughs> humble ourselves cool. before them. This yeah. is faith. Yes. Yeah. No, it re- that is how it feels. The first thing that happens, so the, the game the game opens up and there's an overworld kind of thing, which is like a bunch of different they call them pavilions, a bunch of different pavilions where you can do different things. So like if you want to go and race anywhere around the world, there's like a big coliseum in the middle and you just like tap on the coliseum and it shows you all the races you have available but the first place they take you is this place called the cafe and it's like literally quote unquote a cafe for people who love cars um and it's run by this guy who is like an encyclopedia like a living breathing encyclopedia for cars and what he does is he'll give you a menu a menu book and you open the menu book in this cafe which is like first of all one of the most beautiful places i've ever seen a video game because <laughs> every once in a while this game is like actually photorealistic in ways yeah. that scare me um and then sometimes when i'm driving i'm like this actually doesn't look very good it, it's really bizarre how it kind of oscillates between being absolutely beautiful and kind of weird um because i i feel like this is supposed to be the, the like you know graphical showpiece of what video games are capable of yeah but the cafe specifically is just like the most stunning place in the world it's like this little tiny lodge in the middle of the woods with like a babbling brook uh the the like visual audio experience of being the cafe second to none incredible (laughs) experience um but anyway the guy gives you this little menu book and you open the menu book and it'll have three silhouettes of three different cars and he's like i I need you to go get these cars for me i need you to go acquire them and add them to your collection so essentially you do that by just like going and doing specific races and if you win the race or at least like get from third to first in a race they'll just give you the car and it gets added to your added to your garage when you get all three cars you bring them back to the you bring them back to the cafe and you and you open up the menu book and he's like wow great job and he'll take a really beautiful picture of the three cars and then he'll just tell you everything about those three cars and how important they are it's like yeah this is this is you know the most important front wheel drive car in the 80s in japan and uh here's <laughs> like it sold this much and it revolutionized cars because of this 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 now on to the second one and he'll do that three times and then the next thing will be like okay now this is the honda civic this no, changed for real. everything yeah i forget i God, I wish I could remember. But one of them that actually like really caught my eye was the follow up to the Prius was like (laughs) was like we made the Prius, but we wanted to make something cheaper. And we accidentally made like an incredible like racing car. Um, You know, it it, it had this kind of dual purpose of being like a great car for everybody. And also it was awesome on the street. Um, And 
the further in you get, you feel like you're being indoctrinated into like a, into a weird religion. It does kind of feel that way. Um, and what I, what I found the more I've played is like, look, I'll, I'll be totally honest. I, we talked about this a lot during the Forza Horizon episodes as we continue to play that game. But like, there's, a, there's obviously a case to be made that cars are a net negative for the human race and the planet. Like cars as an, as a, as an industry are bad. <laughs> like the pollutants, <laughs> The, the ways in which uh, like roads have have changed our, our societies and the, the ways in which we cede our space, like our human space to cars instead of, you know, creating more walkable places. Um, it's not good. That's not good for anybody. Uh, it, it, it is only good for the automotive industry. But simultaneously, cars, what I have started, I mean, maybe maybe I'm getting like Stockholm syndrome playing this game or something. But like <laughs> wh- where I'm kind of walking away from this is less of like a cars are good, but like cars have been and, and the automotive industry has been so influential in society, in modern society for so long, like since they were invented that it it would be a bummer to just like forget all of that history and just like throw it all out and toss it in the bin. Like they have, they have been such an influential force in the way, the ways in which we like literally traverse the world, but also like communicate with one another in some cases, like some people buy cars as an extension of their personalities and things like that. It is interesting to look into the specificities of why that is and why if Toyota already has 40 cars in their lineup, they would make a 41st car, you know, like those, those kinds of questions weirdly are answered in Gran Turismo 7 story mode. And I find them really interesting. I, it reminds me a lot of uh, the wind rises sort of the themes that movie explores where like, I think you can absolutely, you can marvel at the engineering and this sort of like craftsmanship behind these things and also recognize like how they are being used and the reliance on them is, maybe too much you know yes. it's sort of like i don't eat red meat but i feel like steak like is a delicacy that should be enjoyed but like beef shouldn't be the number one consumed meat in the country right you know for the yeah. environmental damage it does it's kind of a similar thing where it's like i totally think you're right you yeah. know uh it's it's more of like where we're at with them versus like you know erasing the work that's done and creating these things mm-hmm. and you know the, the passion people have for it yeah yes i think you're totally right and that's kind of one upped by the fact that at the cafe sometimes they'll have like little floating bubbles of heads of other people there and i'm always like why why are these other people here like what what happens if you click on them and they're always designers of cars who will just talk about how cool it was to design whatever car they're like known for designing and that's like the entire cafe experience is you walk in you have a menu book you have to like complete the menu book and then you come back and then they just like tell you how cool cars are and then you go out (laughs) into the world um and that's like that's fun by itself. I, I have found that that progression loop of being like, OK, I have like a really discrete goal. I know exactly what I need to be doing at any given moment. And by doing so, I'm you know building out this collection of cars that I can get every once in a while. Like you'll need to get a car that requires you finishing a race that you don't have any cars that kind of like match the qualifications for. Like maybe, oh, it needs to have this kind of horsepower. And that's when you go into the tuning shop and you start to learn about how to tune cars. Um, and every single piece of that puzzle, as as it starts to expand out and starts to balloon out into like the 45 different things you could do at any moment in Gran Turismo, every single thing is kind of layered one after the other in a really, really like intelligent, tutorialized way. Um, I've never felt overwhelmed. I've never felt like I couldn't do anything. Even races where like I'm not coming in the top three, I'm still having fun because I'm still learning how different cars move and interact with one another. It's really interesting. It's really exciting. And it's it's cool to know that the skill ceiling for this is also really high 
one of the things that they did that I think is honestly really cool because I've never seen any other game do this. And maybe I, I could see sports games doing this, but I don't know if they do. But every once in a while, you'll be racing against a, a real person in some way. Not like actually not like online, but like you'll just see the floating head of a real person and they have a real name and it's different from all the other cars, which you just see the like car make and model. And I was wondering what that was until they, you know, the menu book at one point shuttled me over to this one area that's like you can you can watch recaps of the Gran Turismo like world champion races. And I realized that all of these people that are popping up in my races are actual real Gran Turismo players who are like very good at Gran Turismo. So they've been incorporating these people who are like actual like esports professionals into the game as NPCs that you can interact with. Um, Sometimes you'll like, you know, go into a garage or a tuning shop or something and you'll also like see that person there uh, talking about how they tune their cars or whatever. So they are also incorporating (laughs) these esports people as kind of an on ramp into learning how the game works and how and how how Gran Turismo as a franchise has worked for a long time, which I think is really cool. It, It has this really welcoming atmosphere. It's like, oh, yeah, you can get here one day also. And here's like the little bits of information that I can impart onto you. Yeah, unlike a Mario Golf Advance Tour where they're like, you'll never be like Mario. You'll never be as good as Mario. Yeah. Legendary Um, golfer. I can't believe how good this game is. Um, It sounds awesome. It sounds like it's also the one that is considered a new audience the most, at least from... As far as I know, yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe not, but it sounds like at least this one is... Is ha- has a better onboarding process than the yeah. other ones. I do know, uh, kind of, kind of offhandedly. I, I just, I was gonna say, tweeted. I posted about this on Mastodon that I was playing this game. Um, and a friend reached out and was like, "Oh yeah, I was really interested in playing this, but you know, all the like controversy around it kind of made me not, not want to check it out." And I was like, "Oh, what is that?" Because again, no research, a, a, w- a whimful experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I looked it up, and apparently this game was like riddled with like microtransactions, and still might oh. be. Like the the credits that you use to buy cars, you can actually just like buy straight up from the playstation store also i will say where i'm at in the game i haven't run into that yet and when i do i probably will just stop playing if i'm being totally honest like if i get to a point where it's like oh i actually can't progress unless i go into the playstation store and spend 20 dollars on fake credits to buy fake cars i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do that um i will just say i've had my fun with this game and i'm gonna put it down but i'm always really interested at, at least as far as you and i doing the show when on a week to week basis, I'm like, what am I going to play for the show? What am I going to do? I'm always really interested in what I impulsively sit down and play. Like when I sit down on the couch and I have, you know, my Xbox and my PS5 and my Switch all lined up and I have my 3DS on the coffee table. Like, what is the thing that I turn on instinctively and play? And this week it has only been Gran Turismo 7. Like this week, pretty much any time I sit down, I'm playing Gran Turismo 7 unless I'm like forcing myself to play 3DS stuff as well. Um, <laughs> which has been honestly great. I don't I don't want to compare it directly against Need for Speed Unbound in that way because they're two games going after completely different things. Yeah. Um, I, I just saw how would you compare it to Zah? <laughs> is Zah still the one? Zah is still the one, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, th- I think that game is like maybe a masterpiece. Um, <laughs> but this ga- this game, as far as like taking all of those ideas and and drilling them down to their barest essentials and saying like we just want to get one very specific thing so right, they really do nail it. Like I I, I am really impressed by it. I think it's great. That's awesome. I, I think it's cool to check out, especially for this show, to check out games that are maybe like completely outside our usual interest. Yeah. And even if it's not like, even if we're not a new fan or suddenly into cars, <laughs> because like, I totally get why this is some people's like whole deal, you know? Like, yeah. 
it's sometimes cool to sort of like nod from the distance like oh yeah like this is your ff7 that's great i'm glad you have one too yeah you know it's it's a nice feeling yeah i I think one of the big things it's kind of like the first week when rocket league first came out i don't know if you were playing rocket league at that point but i I still haven't played it oh at all somehow just missed it i have it but i haven't played it yeah uh yeah so they they added rocket league it was like the free ps plus game uh when it when it first came out um and i just remember playing it with my friends online and having this moment you know, a couple days in where it's like, oh, I can so clearly see the skill ceiling here and I can see how high it is. And I know it's gonna take a really long time to get up there. And I think in some cases with some games, that's really exciting. Like it's really exciting to know what you'll be capable of eventually if you continue to invest that time into it. Like I remember I remember in high school playing uh, Guitar Hero a lot. And there was a week where I had the flu and then a week right after that where I had a stomach virus. So I was home for two weeks and all all I did really was play uh, Grand Turismo, was play Guitar Hero <laughs> 3 like the whole time I was there. And just like two in intense weeks of just playing guitar hero three like on expert mode i got so fucking good at that game and it was one of those cases where like i just remember where i started and then thinking like on day two oh if i just do this you know for the rest of however long i'm sick i'll probably be really good at the end because i just could in that game it's very easy to literally like hit extreme go go to a song and like see how hard it is but thinking like I want to work my way up to that and doing it was a really exciting idea. And anytime I see a game now that has like that very linear idea of progression, I'm really excited by that. Rocket League was a good example. And this game, I think specifically shuttling you through the narrative towards seeing professional esports players doing like actual real racing with like full setups with steering wheels and everything you you get an actual like kind of piece of feedback as to where you can get if you continue to play the game and i have to imagine if your person is interested in cars if you're interested in driving simulators that point in the narrative or that point in the the menu book perusal experience is probably super motivating and really cool to know exactly where you can get to and to strive for that and try and experience that like if this is the one game you buy every year you will probably eventually over time turn off all of those driver assistance settings and be playing the game totally on intuition based on like sound and haptic feedback and that's like it's amazing that they built a game that's capable of that in the first place and it's doubly cool that they built the game from the ground up to like teach you into that path yeah i i've had that experience of seeing a skill ceiling and like getting excited about that with a lot of fighting games oh yeah like I, I i've never like stuck to one for super long like i think strive a guilty gear strive came pretty close and i still want to go back to it but like yeah it's been so long that i'm almost scared but like i got pretty good as may like i, I was mm-hmm. like holding my own against people that like are are clearly doing this you know full time yeah uh still getting my ass kicked but i'm like at least i can see why i'm getting my ass kicked <laughs> uh and in college, I had that in a big way with Street Fighter 4 and uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 3, mm-hmm. which is why I'm really excited for this summer. Street Fighter 6, I think that's going to be a big one for me. Yeah. Uh, so it just it's fun also to have a community around that, too. That's the thing, like what will eventually have me sort of split off is if I don't have like a lot of friends playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I imagine Street Fighter 6 is going to be a nice group of people. It's a big enough name that like, like I was surprised at how big Guilty Gear was, given that's more of a niche series. Yeah, I think Street Fighter Six is going to be huge. It's going to be a huge deal. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. Yeah, I'm glad you had that experience with Gran Turismo. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I, I'll, I'll just, just to add to your last point. I, I remember 
doing some like kind of light reporting on the the melee scene like the super smash Bros. Yeah. melee scene and that was one of those situations where like that's a game everybody played you know just every if you had a gamecube you had that game uh when it came out and i i think there's like a lot of people think they're very good at super smash Bros. melee you know because you can beat your friends you know in 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 their basement in the like one day every two weeks when you go over there and you play melee uh but it's not until then this was my very humbling experience because the, the way i was doing this reporting was i wanted to enter a tournament like a local tournament or sorry a major tournament see how i did in that major tournament and then go to a bunch of local tournaments over the next year and then enter that major tournament again the next year and see how I place in comparison. And it was an extremely humbling experience to walk in, be like, you know, I was kind of there to be humbled in the first place. I didn't think I was very good sure. at melee, but I was like, I, I want to see how bad I am really by comparison. Right. What's the distance? Yeah. Yeah. I ended up going up against, uh, weirdly enough, I, I ended up going up against in my, in the first pool. The first fight I did was, um, the developer of Doki Doki Literature Club. That's um, right. He was a Marth main, right? Uh, Link. He was like the oh, Link, Link main. Link. Yeah, he was known as Internet Explorer. And uh, <laughs> and he was like the Link main. And he just like kicked my ass within like maybe 15 to 20 seconds. Uh, and then we had like another three minutes of the pool left. And he just like taught me a bunch of stuff. But that was that was an extremely humbling experience. And the experience of going to locals for a little while after that and going up against, you know, just people who weren't even placing nationally or, you know, going to the major tournaments, but were just there locally to play against people competitively in person. You see so much of what's possible in a game. I think you're totally right to to compare fighting games to this, where it's like continuing to have that experience of getting that like video, audio and and like physical feedback of like getting absolutely trounced at a tournament is weirdly extremely motivating when it comes to wanting to get better. Even even if you go in and you're like upset about the fact that you lost, there is a little piece of your brain that's like, but I I can get them next time, you know, and like, what do I have to do to do? Yeah. That? And for people who are like very, very competitive, I think it's like turn your brain off to every other game. And this is the only thing I'm going to focus on. And I just don't have that in me personally. But I like you do have it in little spurts with some things. Like I think when Street Fighter six comes out, I'm going to get very into that game just for like a couple months. Yeah. And it's going to be exhilarating to see how good I get in a couple months of like really focused play with that game. Um, and it's been very cool just in one week to see how many of those assistance features I've turned off in Gran Turismo, where like I started on easy mode with everything turned on. I then moved my way up to normal mode with everything on and then slowly have been turning off the assistance features. Um, and that's it's really cool. It's really cool to just see that and get that kind of feedback. Yeah. And I think it's also I think with any skill in real life, you know, I think our desire to get better is always more impatient than how long it actually takes. Oh, yeah. And I think that it is it is just encouraging to see progress that's something that mm -hmm. i really latched onto with drawing is like when i first started taking it seriously in like 2016 in like a few months i noticed things improving pretty rapidly um mm. and and you know then of course it's up and down and there's like ocean tides of self-doubt and everything but like you know the longer you do it the more you identify with the process itself and like you know that you're going to get better as long as you continue doing it. Yeah. Um, and if you stick around, it's really like it's so empowering to see that. And I think fighting games and games like that do give you that experience uh, in a way that other games uh, other than maybe from soft games don't really give you that like really personal catharsis. Yeah. 
Totally. I think honestly, I mean, th- this is for everyone who's listening. This is like the most general advice possible. But that that experience of just like continuing to keep at a thing until you get better at it is is applicable to like everything in life. I feel I feel very yeah. strongly that just like the more you do anything, the better you'll get at it. And that can be anything from like trying to have a better sleep schedule to uh, kicking somebody's ass in Street Fighter. <laughs> exactly. I'll also add to and this is entering another conversation and almost me channeling Bob Ross a little bit, which, you know, (laughs) I love doing. But uh, I do think that like for the arts, especially, I think there's a very common perception that like you're born with it or not. And like that is fundamentally not true. Like, I think some people do have a natural knack for things. It might come easier. Yeah, I think people start at different places. Right. Everyone's got a creative voice and like, you know, that's amazing and that should be celebrated. But like, you know, I know a lot of people who are like, oh, like I can't do like I know so many people who are just like naturally charismatic and so quick that have never gone on stage and they don't have to. Mm -hmm. You don't have to turn everything into a hustle. But it's like (laughs) when when I've encouraged them, like, oh, well, I'm not an actor. That's not who I am. It's like if you want to do those things, if you if you pursue them, you will improve. And like you are that thing the minute you decide to pursue it yeah um yes that's that's, i think that that's just like the truth it's not even like a hot take yeah so believe in yourself believe in yourself get some sleep and that's why i want to talk about gran turismo 7 the real (laughs) driving simulator so we could turn this into a motivational speech at the end the minute i put my foot on the gas pedal i knew cars were for me (laughs) i made a left turn then i made a right turn then i realized every direction is the right one ew what is that is that titus or snake a little bit of both it seemed like yeah, a little. <laughs> this is my story and my car. Uh, all right. See you in a bit. Okay. Bye. <laughs> and we're back. Hello. In the show. Hello, Stephen. You wanted to give an update about a video game that you talked about last week, which I'm excited to hear about. Yeah, I, I think this is it's in the air because uh, Fire Emblem Engage is coming out, I think, in a week, right? Pretty soon. Yeah, I want to say, oh, actually, five days after the time of this recording, it'll be out. Wow. So I guess we're talking about it next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should put that on my calendar. <laughs> Fire Emblem's in the air. Yeah. Uh, and I mentioned last week that I've been playing Path of Radiance, which is the Fire Emblem on the Nintendo GameCube, uh, starring Ike, who you might know from Smash Brothers. Mm, I do. That was the beginning of like smash becoming a fire emblem reunion basically uh which i now know all of them which feels like a a personal achievement i'm like oh yeah i know who every character is now in in the in the roster yeah more on smash characters in a bit but anyway i've been playing more on smash characters king k rule (laughs) olimar dark pit Uh, who's the other olimar like frank i was was gonna say luigi i think it's (laughs) What's oh, I don't name? know. You know what I'm talking about? It's, I it's do like, know what you're talking about. It's like he's Mo. he's he's Alamar's Luigi, though. I feel. yeah. Who is I'm googling? Who is Alamar's Luigi? <laughs> Alf. Alf is the other one. Oh. Pikmin. Alamar's Luigi is a good episode title. <laughs> yeah, too bad you already made the art. Maybe we could do both. Alf. Yeah, Alf has the. Uh, he looks a little bit like a Christmas claymation character. He's Did you the, like, Google who is Alamar's Luigi and find the right answer? No, and nothing oh. came up. I, just, <laughs> I thought you typed that into Google, and Google's like, "Yeah, it's Alf." I just remembered after I I did that. Uh, although I did, so I just hit back. Who's Olimar's Luigi? The the first three results are CaptainOlimarFandom.com. Mm. Then there's someone named Louie. Louie. Look who's at, the, look at them. Who's the, one of the characters in Pikmin 2. Louie might be the Waluigi. <laughs> anyway, 
Path of Radiance. Uh, I brought to the show last week. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I brought to the show last week and I was pretty early. I think I did the first like three missions, but I liked it enough to be like, hey, I'm playing this. And it's already like a distinct entry in the series because I got into Fire Emblem through Awakening. And then I played the other 3DS ones. Then Three Houses came out and then I went back and played the Game Boy Advance ones. So I, yeah. have, a, I have a pretty I'm not I'm not an expert yet. But I have a pretty like intermediate bird's eye view of the series at this point. Mm. If I said I'm an expert, I would quickly learn I'm not. But I, I think I have like <laughs> at least a vision of of the various eras of the series. Yeah. And I think Path of Radiance is a really interesting one because it's Fire Emblem overall, I would say, is at least in my experience, I, I associate it with handhelds. So the fact that there mm. was a system, a, a main, you know, household console that got a Fire Emblem pre-awakening yeah it's kind of interesting which is why i think this game is so hard to find uh and so expensive but um just by nature being on the gamecube i was i was intrigued by it. and this is also one that pops up on a lot of people's like favorite fire emblem game list yeah very frequently and i'm starting to learn why because i am on <laughs> chapter nine and it is eyeing fire emblem awakenings throne as my second favorite fire emblem game whoa yeah it's it's really remarkable and uh I don't think it's it's a good one to start with. Like, I kind of wish, you know, I mean, maybe I don't wish it's hard to get, but <laughs> I do think it's worth checking out if you're a fan of the series. It's a really interesting point because I think like I had sort of acknowledged that the Fire Emblem games on the Game Boy Advance were really enjoyable for the tactics, but I didn't really connect as much to the story. And, you know, they're not really going for that. Like th- there's a fun story brewing in Blazing Blade and I did like the lead characters, mm-hmm. but it's it's more there just to sort of like string you along these really interesting maps. And Sacred Stones, I just didn't really resonate with the story like at all for some reason. But then, you know, the later entries, at least the characters were, were sort of the primary focus, especially in Three Houses. Yeah. And what's really interesting about Path of Radiance is that it's more more like three houses in some ways than I was expecting. Not necessarily in gameplay, but in the idea that there is a cast of like eight characters who you're with for a, a pretty long amount of time. Mm. Because in a lot of other Fire Emblem games, you're, you know, there's like the core trio of leads, and then there are like the cannon fodder characters. Mm. So you know, the, every map, there'll be like three new people that are like, hello, I like ice cream. I like salty food. It's like, <laughs> you might die next map, but you know, like you will form an attachment to them through the gameplay, and you might learn a little bit more about them the more you play it. Yeah. I think Awakening struck a nice balance there where there were a lot of characters, and that game is definitely like expecting you to lose a handful, but there was an enough to to most of them that like you you felt something if if you did lose them mm. you know like right. there was more than i would say there is for some of the characters in the game boy advance ones path of radiance though is like again similar to three houses like you have a cast of seven or eight like i feel like well i don't know them quite as intimately because the supports are not as like persona adjacent in like how they're delivered i do really like the cast and i have a very strong sense of ensemble mm. And what I really, really love about this story is that I'm at least so far, I'm, I'm nine chapters in. Uh, it feels like sort of the beginning of the second act in some ways. To me, the story is about sort of the dangers of neutrality. So without saying too much, Ike is in a group of mercenaries that's run by his father. Mm. And in Fire Emblem tradition, your dad is always like legit. Like, your dad <laughs> is always like a Pankras level, yeah. like unstoppable local celebrity. Um, <laughs> and pretty quickly, you'll, you'll see 
everyone respects and reports to Ike's dad, but there's not a lot of unity in this group. Mm. So like on one hand, you have characters like Titania, who was a knight at one point, but is now a mercenary, but still retains that sense of like honor and duty. So even though she's like technically in this like for hire merc group like i think she still sort of treats it like she's like a paladin Mm. of justice in some ways then you have uh shinon who's this archer who is sort of like just very self-interested and like is always doing things that the other mercenaries have to call out like hey like don't steal stuff off the dead corpses after battle it's not respectful to the dead or like you know don't do x y or z and he's just sort of like whatever we're all just here for the money you know like why do why are we pretending we're something we're not yeah And then in the middle of that, you have this mage named Soren, who is like sort of the voice of reason. And he usually sometimes will take a self-serving side because usually what will happen is like shit hits the fan. The battle's about to start and Titania and Ike's dad will gather everyone. It's okay. What does everybody think? Like, what should we do? It sort of has like a roundtable decision making process. And Soren almost always says like the bad thing. But his his logic is like, okay, like this is the situation. These are only options like to survive. I'm not saying that like I want to do this, but these are like the choices we have. And what you learn is like Soren actually does really appreciate the optimism and like chivalry of characters like Ike and Titania. And also Ike appreciates like being grounded by Soren's point of view. So like even just a relationship like that, you get you get a sense of character that I think is a little bit beyond some of the Game Boy Advance like casts in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, without spoiling too much of the main story, classic Fire Emblem, there are multiple factions and a war starts pretty early. And one of the first questions that the mercenary group have to ask themselves is like do we take a side you know like do we get involved in this like we do have like leanings towards one country uh, the country that's not clearly the bad guys we're like cool with them but you know like is it our place to get involved mm. and that question is like repeatedly asked every mission to the point where you know there's also like this constant uh you know everyone idolizes ike's dad and no one really believes in ike like people like ike (laughs) um but they don't really (laughs) trust in his ability and neither Mm. like he doesn't really see like he's very brave and very honorable but he he also like sucks as a unit and i I, I mean he's not terrible but he's like not usually the lead in fire emblem is the character you like throw into action that you know they're gonna do fine and ike is a little bit like a Donald character where, you know, there are archetypes in Fire Emblem history and, and often there are characters that start off really weak, but if you invest in them, they become unstoppable later on. And Ike is kind of like that, at least so far. Like he's not, he's like, okay. Um, <laughs> and, and all of a sudden he's thrust into a position of responsibility where like, there's a point, you know, without saying too much, there's a point where like he is in charge and some people just leave the team. Like I don't trust Ike like at all. Wow. And it just, it just, makes the stakes feel very personal yeah and you know i i am guessing ike's sister has a glowing medallion so i'm like i'm sure there's gonna be some type <laughs> fire of emblem? like Steven? yeah yes pretty there's always a actual fire emblem in the games yeah. which is funny it took me a long time to realize the crest of flames and three houses was the <laughs> fire emblem but uh i'm expecting like there to maybe be uh you know more I'm hoping there isn't but I'm like bracing for like a chosen one type connection mm. but so far Ike is just like a good guy who's like sticking his neck out in situations where he's 
constantly outmatched. It reminds me a lot, too, of the Golden Deer in the sense that, like, there's this conflict going on and you're sort of on the outside and you're constantly like, you know, in, in the case of Golden Deer, Claude has a very, like, concrete plan of what he wants to accomplish. And here it's sort of just like day by day. They're just figuring out, you know, they're learning more about themselves and each other as they navigate the situation that's much larger than them. Yeah. So it's the most I've felt like there's a really, even though like it's maybe not as 100% focused on like character as the later entries, like there is a really nice cohesion between like the maps and the tactics and the narrative, Mm -hmm. even just the decision of making Ike not the most powerful character is a really powerful one. And I just find that the actual maps and the tactics are just awesome are still re- very good that's great yeah a lot of the maps the victory condition is to survive x number of turns mm. and that to me feels the most accurate to what the game is exploring thematically and also weirdly enough they're the ones i enjoy the most because it's all about like when do you go for risk reward here you know another thing that blew my mind is eventually you do unlock like a hideout it's not quite to the extent of garrick mock but it is sort of like a planning phase where you can like watch supports and you know manage inventory and all that yeah and and there's a feature where you can invest bonus experience in leveling up other characters which i didn't think existed in anything other than three hopes (laughs) which we both praise like a great addition to the series but it's in path of radiance you could just like dump a bunch of experience into maybe your more under leveled units yeah that way they can get a bit of a buff so they you don't have like it's really hard to level up weak characters and fire them because you're putting them at risk constantly yeah so like the addition of that mechanic allows you to invest in underdogs more. I just, you know, I think narratively, like it's not, it's nothing that's going to blow you away. Like it, it is in some ways traditional Fire Emblem story mm. going on. Right. But I do think that it feels much more personal and much more grounded than than other stories have. And I just really love the world building. It, 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 it does the thing that you always make fun of where it shows you the map and it explains what's happening. But it shows you the map like four hours in, oh, which is yeah. a great much idea. Because like, I now know who the hell you're talking about. Yeah. And I actually like feel something when you're saying like, we're going into this. And it's cool because like... Yeah, my, my issue is when you start with that. You can't start, yeah. you can't start with the map and tell me about all the conflicts and everything every country and their capitals and who yeah. leads all of them and who was on every ship. I think what's neat too, is there's a conflict between like two major factions and now we're kind of just exploring the whole world. Mm-hmm. And it is, there are so many creative locations. Like we just went through a place called the sea of trees. That's a country full of like, anamorphs basically like people who can turn into beasts Whoa. Um, Whoa. and we're about to like go on a more like nautical journey in the ocean soon wow. which like you know i love so i think this is just like it, it, in some ways it has that sort of dragon quest simplicity where it's like this is just a good ass adventure like it, yeah i feel like it has a spirit of adventure that not a lot of other ones do to the same degree mm. like as much as i love fire i'm awakening i do think that that story feels like three distinct episodes and i'm mostly there just for like the atmosphere and for some of the characters right and like and, and the tactics you know are are great but this also feels like one thing that not to pit them all against each other but one thing that i've noticed about awakening is like the difficulty curve is kind of wild where like it will be like really hard early on and then gets like really easy and then it just like it doesn't feel gradual yeah in the same way that path of radiance has there's definitely a spike at a certain point once you're like in the enemy base like oh fuck we're so outnumbered here (laughs) uh but it's been cool to like find a role for everybody and i i'm learning that i prefer fire emblem games that give you less characters because like interesting even though i have eight or nine characters right now three of them were optional like three of them you had to like go and seek out and like talk to on the map to recruit Mm. so like 
if I didn't do that, I would have like seven or, you know, six, wow. which is really fascinating. And and there's also this this other theme of like being told you're not ready yet. You know, like you're not ready to take a stand yet. And like, when is the time to do that? Like, is it when you're actually physically ready or are you like putting it off because you'd rather not get involved? Yeah. Um, which is just a really cool question to be asking, like consistently throughout a fantasy adventure. Yeah. So do you feel just going back to the idea of like eras of Fire Emblem, do you feel like this is kind of like the crown jewel on the Game Boy Advance era of Fire Emblem? That's what it feels like to me currently. Yeah, I, I think it, it feels it definitely like in presentation, it looks and kind of feels like the Game Boy Advance ones, like the character profiles are very similar to that. Right. And it's not pixel art, but the like backgrounds kind of have that style as well. But yeah, it, it definitely feels like a step. I, I do think this is kind of the bridge. Mm-hmm. You know, I think like the focus on narrative and character, I imagine, led them to going more in that direction later on. Yeah, because there was a there's a follow up to this one, right? There's a sequel to this one. Is that, is that on the Wii or is that also on the game? It's on the Wii. It's Radiant Dawn. People love that one as well. Yeah. So I, I I'm, I'm all in too. on Ike at this point. I, I really want to see where this story goes. And then what and then was it awakening after that? I need to look this up. I think you might be right. If that's the case, then I think my my like feelings on on where the series has moved is, is more accurate than I thought. <laughs> okay, so after Radiant Dawn, you get Shadow Dragon on the DS, which uh is my least favorite. I forgot about that one. That is a remake it's of the, remake. the first yeah. one on it, it, it's it's okay. It just like the presentation feel it's this is two thousand eight. The presentation feels like Call of Duty-ified, weirdly. Yeah. It's like very muted. Uh, and then there's New Mystery of Fire Emblem, which I think... It's a remake of the third one, it looks like. Yeah, so it looks like it was Radiant Dawn, then two remakes, then Awakening. So yeah. in some ways, Awakening was the next one because that was the next like mainline entry. Man, what a leap that is. That's so interesting. Right? Yeah. So I think I think that is an accurate way to, to look at this. I think I think Path of Radiance and I imagine Radiant Dawn by extension are sort of like the swan song of Fire Emblem as it was and sort mm-hmm. of like, in my opinion, the best execution of that style. Yeah. And then Awakening, ironically, was meant to be a swan song for the whole series. And I think just through the alchemy of doing a little bit of everything ended up sort of breathing new life. Figuring out what the formula should be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, you have a bunch of other stuff after that. And Three Houses, I think, feels like another. We're at a point now where I'm... I'm really curious what I've read about Engage, which, you know, I have sort of mixed feelings on currently. I'm going to play it and see how I feel. But it seems like Three Houses and Engage kind of mark a split in the road. And I wonder if, like, they're going to continue one path more than the other or if they're going to sort of alternate between the two. Yeah. Is it like uh, like Scarlet and Violet and Arceus or is it? you know, one or the other. Right. So I, I think we're at a really exciting point for the series because they're, you know, we were post awakening and I think they, you know, figured out that era. And now I think we're at like the precipice of where the series could go next. Mm. And uh, even if I end up like not liking engage, like I'm, I am glad that they are trying out different things, you know, after three houses, like seeing yeah. like what works. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm really excited to play Path of Radiance. I'm really excited to get into it. I, I haven't turned my Steam Deck on in like two weeks uh, and I'm excited to get back to it. I've just like any any free time has been either spent driving or playing uh, the 3DS. Um, but this game has been calling to me like every, every time I'm like, I, I, I've been really drawn to it. So I'll, I'll get to it, I think, sooner than later. I think the the Dragon Quest fan in you will enjoy it a lot. Mm-hmm. And also the... What I recommend, if you can, I've been playing this docked on the Steam Deck, dock on the TV. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I think this game feels better on the TV. Like, mm. it works fine handheld, but I just think the music is, like, 
especially good. Yeah. And also just I think because it was made for the GameCube, I feel like they had like a TV in mind, like, even though it's not right. like mind blowing graphics or anything like it just feels cool to like be sitting on a couch and playing it. Yeah. It, it, it feels weirdly nostalgic. Like it takes me right back to like the you know late 2000s. Yeah. It has I love that big. I mean, it's on the GameCube. So, of course, it's going to have GameCube energy, but it's got big GameCube energy. Out of curiosity, what are you using as a controller for the Steam Deck? The, the Switch Pro. Uh, which works just fine. Yeah, you're, so, you're enjoying that? Nice. Yeah, I am. I've also been playing Full Circle. I've been playing Persona 4 Golden docked as well with the Steam Deck controller. Cool. And that's been fun as well. It, it took until now for me to learn that there's a button you can press that brings up a list of shortcuts to get around like locations. Like I knew that like you could oh, yeah. walk outside and choose, but you, like, if you're in the school, you can hit... I think it's like one of the bumpers and it will say like library, you know, different buildings. I'm like, God, this is so helpful. Why wow. didn't they tell me this is an option? So I played this game I'm twice. For you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, this is I played four once and this is my first time playing Golden, which yeah. is excellent. Uh, so and that's also coming out soon. Uh, Golden and, and Persona 3 Portable are coming to Steam and Switch in like a week or so. Yeah. God, there's a lot of cool stuff on the horizon. Yeah. I can't I kind of can't believe it that those games are actually coming out. <laughs> I think um, I'm I'm good with Persona 4 Golden on on the Steam Deck, but I'm gonna get Persona 3 Portable on Switch. I think I I feel so like beholden to the idea of getting Persona 4 Golden on the Switch just so I can finally be like all of my loves from the Vita have made it over officially. <laughs> the Vita cocoon has 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 uh, faded away, and now we get the butterfly. Yeah, exactly. Which is the save point, so you know we're on brand. Ah, uh, look at that. You want to take a break? Yeah, but that's that's my spoiler-free segment for Path of Radiance. Um, I would love to talk about it again if you play it. Um, maybe we'll do like you know some spoiler discussion or or if we get to Radiant Dawn one day. But it's sure. I'm really glad I finally checked it out. Yeah, me too. Cool. All right. All talk right. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. <laughs> bye. Bye. <laughs> Steven, we're back. Hello. And uh, we we have talked over the past couple of weeks, months, years <sighs> about the Nintendo 3DS. Yeah. Um, years. Just, yeah, that was accurate. Yeah, specifically that we have an upcoming bonus for our patrons uh, about the Nintendo 3DS and its library that we're trying to get out before the eShop closes. Kind of like a, I don't want to say specifically like a buyer's guide, but more like, hey, these are a bunch of games that maybe won't exist ever again. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're interested in checking them out, maybe maybe do that before this closes. And because of that, you and I have been playing a lot of 3DS stuff. Uh, and I think I think we want to talk about some things that may or may not show up on the episode, but, you know, regardless, just like fun to shout out. Yeah. Um, there's one in particular that I really wanted to talk about that I, I think you're going to be fascinated by if you don't know it. Do you know Crimson Shroud? No. Okay. Crimson Shroud, this is this is totally based off of our conversation last week, because I think if we hadn't talked about Attack of the Friday Monsters last week, I never would have found this game. So very grateful that this happened. But as we were talking about Attack of the Friday Monsters last week, um, we talked about how it was part of the Guild series. There was Guild 01 and Guild 02, which were two groups of games that came out published by Level 5 and uh, with assistance by Level 5. But specifically... Level 5, the developer, went out and found a bunch of just like really brilliant game designers and said, hey, do you want to make like a really small kind of low budget idea and bring it to life and we'll help develop it and publish it and it'll be part of the series, this like little mini series of just like cool stuff. It's like the closest to indie development, I think, that a lot of these people have gotten in some cases, you know, because these are like pretty big developers. As you were saying, like Grasshopper Manufacturer made a game. Yeah. Um, Attack of the Friday Monsters kind of similarly like Boku no Natsuyasumi is like a huge franchise, but it's like, what if you made a really small 
version of that all released on the 3ds and i checked out two games from the guild series because i was just like curious about it um I, I i looked up just everything that had been released under guild and two games stuck out to me really one of them that i thought was really fun that i won't talk about that much is called arrow porter um which is it's arrow porter uh, and the whole idea is that it's just a puzzle game about sorting luggage in an airport to the correct planes. Uh, so like <laughs> that's awesome. color coded luggage shows up on a conveyor belt and you have only two buttons you need to worry about. One of which is to lower luggage from like one floor to another because the, the planes will be on different floors like one, two and three. Um, and then another button which raises luggage up. Um, so it's really you just need to like sort and color code all of this luggage to make sure that it like makes it onto the right plane. It's very difficult and very stressful. Uh, I didn't play that game for too much, but I did like it. Uh, the other one that I was really curious about was Crimson Trout. And this is by Yasumi Matsuno, who you and I are, I think, slowly becoming fans of. Uh, known for the Tactics Ogre stuff, Final Fantasy Tactics, Vagrant Story, just like the entire Ivalice vibe yeah of of final fantasy came from yasumi matsuno and seeing his name attached to one of the guild things i was like oh i gotta know what that is like even without looking up what the actual game was i was like i just want to know yeah. um the thing that's interesting about crimson trout is i feel like it brings to life a thing that i hear a lot about the nintendo 3ds like if you if you look up interviews with developers about making things for the 3ds or just kind of like oral histories of the creation of the 3ds from nintendo the thing that a lot of people say about the idea of the 3d on the top screen is this idea that like it's like a little window you're looking into a little window with a bunch of little miniatures kind of you know moving around in this little like space and i think that crimson trout maybe is the best possible version of that in a way i've been playing this game with the 3d on pretty much exclusively but the thing about it is that it literally is miniatures the crimson trout is like a turn-based rpg that literally uses actual figures and miniatures on kind of like a D&D looking game board. It reminds me a lot of the voice of cards stuff Yeah, uh, in, in that it is trying to replicate a tabletop experience in a video game and is like just handling a lot of the kind of background work for you. So what you're presented with is, you know, your characters who have dialogue and get put in positions uh, that you need to get them through via combat usually but there are dice rolls that you need to worry about. You need to, you know, make decisions and then roll dice based on those decisions to see if you pass or fail those checks, things like that. Um, so you don't have like fully animated character models because they're just actual little miniatures. But that having been said, the way they make up for that is by having just exceptionally good writing. Like the writing is so stellar that it makes these characters that aren't moving and are very clearly like little plastic figures on a game board feel very, very real and really, uh, really like interesting and enticing characters the the big thing i think that is so stellar about this is like at the end of the day really if you if you kind of pare down a lot of things it is just a very like classic turn-based rpg um it's like five to ten hours long max which i think is really great it's a good length for yeah. an rpg to be um because very infrequently are they <laughs> five to ten hours yeah um, usually that's like just getting to know your hometown yeah yeah but because it's wrapped up in this idea of visually looking like a game board, literalizing by using the touchscreen, like pick up a die and then, you know, shake it around and then throw it on the board to see where it lands. And this great writing and incredible score as well. It takes something that could have been very rote and felt very like kind of paint by numbers 
and and elevates it to a completely new thing. Like it feels super fresh and super interesting, despite like at the end of the day, just being like, okay, do I want to attack or use magic or use my skills or do I want to defend this turn? <laughs> you know, like it really, it really, it, yeah, no, for real. It, at the end of the day, it is just like the very classic everything you know and love about JRPGs and turn-based combat uh, without really too many frills but the presentation of all of that is what elevates it and is what makes it feel really special i love this game i love it Hell so yeah. much i'm like i'm I'm all about it i think you would absolutely adore I'm it sure i will I say like yeah. my one my one gripe with it is one of the characters uh in your party is very like designed via the male gaze uh, in ways that I find distracting and annoying. Yeah. Um, but but outside of that, I think what this game is doing is like really, really fascinating. And I want to talk about it more, but I will probably wait until <laughs> I've played enough of it uh, to bring it to the 3DS episode. But this is, for me, in terms of like digital only eShop releases that you can't get a physical copy of and will disappear forever when the 3DS shop goes down, like this, this for me, if you're interested in, in JRPGs and turn-based combat, is definitely worth at least a look. It's in the fellowship of Pocket Card Jockey uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and the best e-store games. It sounds, it sounds, I kept thinking of the term designed by subtraction based on what you were sharing. Where yeah. like, you know, it's, it's really focused. Uh, it's not trying to reinvent what you know and love, but it's a new take on an established convention. Yeah. Which is a really great, like intention to go into for this type of project like being given us like sort of a game jam almost but like you know a little bit larger that's awesome i definitely want to check that out i yeah i think i think i think you'll um i think you'll really like it uh the play with the 3d on is very cool it's also very difficult which i kind of appreciate as well uh i i find it to be like there are there are battles you'll get into within the first like two hours that are like actually crushingly hard um, and you need to spend a lot of time like managing your equipment and items and skills and stuff to make sure you can make it through or like make sure you made the right decisions leading up to it. I, I, I really appreciate that, especially if the game is going to be very short. I kind of like that there's a little bit more of an edge to it. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's got a lot of the Matsuno charm. Like it feels like it could be an Ivalice as well, which is great. Yeah. Oh, man. It's like <laughs> it's like the the type of writing in Ivalice is like you want to like your first instinct is like this is like. This guy wants to be Shakespeare so badly. And then you're like, maybe he is Shakespeare. Like, <laughs> There's like this flip that happens. You're like, that was a good insult like that. You yeah. Because sometimes when I feel like when you watch a bad production of Shakespeare, you can tell the actors don't know what they're actually saying. It just like sounds cool. Mm-hmm. But like the writing and Matsuno's stuff is like, yeah, like he, he knows the best way to say fuck you, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially in Tactics Ogre. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially hot off the heels of you playing Tactics Ogre, I, I feel like uh, the Crimson Shroud is, is is kind of a must pick up. Totally, um, I, th- I think you'll like it a lot. Um, two other games I wanted to fly by. Number one, uh, I just I can't believe this is as good as it is, but I've been playing Picross 3D Round Two. Oh, nice. I don't know if Round One. I, I haven't played Round One. I don't know why I picked up Round Two, but Round Two is the one that I got. Um, it's incredible. I don't, I don't think I need to extol the virtues of Picross to most people. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just like a great franchise and it has been, we talked about it a little bit on the, on the DS bonus, uh, that we did. Um, but Picross 3d taking what is a 2d puzzle 
and actually bringing it into a 3D realm and having, you know, instead of just like a flat puzzle that you're trying to solve, have it be like a three dimensional object where you need to like spin this big unwieldy shape around and start to like blow up cubes and paint them different colors and stuff is I I thought it was going to be a little overwhelming. And to be totally honest, the tutorial is a little overwhelming for a bit, like for the first like 15, 20 minutes. Um, But once they kind of take the reins off and like, all right, just go solve stuff. I this is like the game that I play when I have stuff on in the background. It is like I can't. (laughs) It feels so wonderful to have on the 3DS. It really is like one of the games that is highlighting for me, you know, the the power of having something in a handheld form that is so portable. So that's Picross 3D round two. It is interesting how I feel like the these guild games utilize the 3D more heavily than a lot of the first party stuff even did. Like I feel like outside of like Mario and and I guess uh, Link Between Worlds, I don't know of many other like games where I even thought to put on the 3d i will say my experience playing these games for the episode has been a lot about challenging that assumption because i also felt the same way for a long time yeah. and the more of these games i played with 3d on the more i'm like man this is like that's true i mean really smt4 special. definitely like asks you to put it on indirectly when they show you those landscape shots yeah and also weirdly enough awakening i loved the way the menus looked and the the support scenes kind of like stood out in a fun way with the 3D yeah on. crimson trout is interesting because specifically that game with the 3D on, I feel like is almost necessary to even see and and parse some of what's happening on the top screen because the way the text works or the way the text is overlaid on top of, you know, the figures and the game board and things like that really only works if there is that three-dimensional separation between like the 2D text floating on top of a three-dimensional space. Yeah. Uh, um, whereas if you flatten that down to 2D, it just looks kind of messy and it makes the text hard to read. Uh, which I kind of felt similarly about SMT4 in a, in a way. Uh, a, a lot of the UI and HUD elements like work really well because they're presented in three-dimensional space, which I love. But the thing about Picross 3D that I, I, I find interesting is that a lot of, because it's heavily reliant on you using the touchscreen to like paint objects and things, it doesn't go up to the 3D screen until you're done with it. So like when you when you've solved the puzzle and then you figure out what it is, it'll like kind of slowly move its way to the top and like sparkles will start to shoot out and it'll play this like twinkly music and it'll be like it was a frog all along. <laughs> and uh that's great. I love it. I love that. Third game, I'm like uh, truly only 45 minutes to an hour in at most. Uh I I can't really speak to it fully, but I did start playing Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance for oh, the first time. Hell yes. Um, I still haven't started it, but I have it. This this is a PlayStation Two video game on the 3DS. <laughs> it is, I think, honestly, I'm, I I need to look at a list, and maybe I will when we do our 3DS episode. But I think this is the most visually stunning game on the 3DS. It wow. it is like almost indistinguishable from the PlayStation Two versions of Kingdom Hearts. I I kind of can't believe that it runs as well as it does. And I think they knew that if I'm being totally honest, I think they knew that while they were putting the game together, like this game is running on hardware that's powerful enough to just make a full Kingdom Hearts game, because I feel like the other handheld ones and the other the other ones that you and I have played for the show, Birth by Sleep, Chain of Memories, obviously, but the the DS ones as well, they're all kind of hampered a little bit by something, you know, sure. uh, whether it be like graphically or control scheme wise or whatever it's always a little bit less than and i think some games use that to their advantage better than others like chain of memories is like not trying to be a full kingdom hearts game obviously you know it's like trying to be a totally different thing 358 over two days which i talked a lot about in the ds bonus is i think a really interesting case where like they get pretty close 
But I think they understand that if you try and play that game like a Kingdom Hearts game for a long period of time, your hands are going to start to cramp playing on like a little tiny device. So the game is literally built around you dipping in and out, right? Because it's a handheld thing. You're supposed to like take on a mission, go do the mission and then close the DS until the next time you're on the subway and then you do it again. And that that I think was really smart at that time. But on this game, it is like no frills. This is just Kingdom Hearts in a portable form. And that is like that's amazing. It's amazing that it works that well. Um, the, the closest I think they've gotten to something like this is birth by sleep, like birth by sleep on, on the PSP. Yeah, that's um, true. Is, is pretty close, but even still like there aren't enough buttons on that to like fully do this. Whereas it's also if you're different playing this, enough. Cause I think it's like, it still has a little bit of the deck builder stuff going on and yeah. you're playing as the other character. So it feels, it, it feels like kingdom hearts, but it's a new experience. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The thing that is making this game work really well for me that might you know, it might be a your mileage may vary thing for other people is uh, that I am playing this on the new 3DS, which has the circle pad built into it, uh, which you can use as the right analog stick for like oh, looking nice. around. Yeah. And that by itself is a game changer. I have found myself uh, occasionally going back to using the um, the shoulder buttons to move the camera around, kind of like I did in 358 over two days. And I think that might literally just be muscle memory. Like, I think that is literally just because I played so much of 358 over two <laughs> days that like that, that feels more natural to me in a handheld like DS kind of form factor. But this game is stunning. It's about it's about Sora and Riku taking the Keyblade Mastery exam, which is the lead up into Kingdom Hearts 3. Right. Weirdly enough. Uh, so I am getting, uh, at least narratively, a little bit of like a filling in the blanks of an entire piece of this lore that I didn't know. The reason I wanted to bring it up for you specifically is I didn't know this. Do you know anything about this game? Do you know who's in it? No, I, I know. Very, I have it. And I know it's like one of the more well received like spinoff ones, but I, I haven't played it. Oh, man. I almost don't want to tell you, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Okay, I mean, it's up to you. I'm here at your mercy. I just think you're going to yell. I yelled and I don't even (laughs) care as much. You got to tell me you can't you can't tease me and the listener this way. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I started playing this game. You started the tutorial, which is like just fighting Ursula in the sea. uh, And that's how they teach you how to play the game. Like just mechanically like, okay, here's how to attack and use spells and things like that. After that, you get sucked into this whirlpool and and Sora wakes up in Traverse Town, the place from the PS2 game. And that was my first like, oh, my God, this is just, you know, the PS2 version of kingdom hearts running right. on a handheld like that was that was the mind-blowing thing for me was like hearing the music seeing the intro it's iconic yeah yeah um and immediately sora is like oh my god i lost riku again you know and it's like uh, w- w- what's going on here you know sora and riku both got sucked into this into this whirlpool so like they both got separated um right after becoming friends again and whatever and doing this like exam together uh so he screams out riku as loud as he possibly can and from off screen somebody is like can you please not yell that loud? And I thought it was Riku. It sounded exactly like Riku. Um, and the camera panned up and down. I couldn't believe this, but down from the, the rafters comes Neku from the world ends with you. <laughs> uh-huh. And, and he's like, I need you to not yell so loud because he, he has like his, his headphones hand on. Yeah. And, and he grabs Sora's hand and he's like, are you part of the game? And Sora's like, what are you talking about? And Neku holds out his hand and he has the countdown timer from the world's ends with you. And it's oh like, still, it's still happening to him, even though he's in Traverse Town. And, and Sora's like, I don't know what's happening, but I can help you out of whatever problem you have. And Neku's like, all right, then come with me. And he then teaches Sora flow motion, which is the, the, the movement that you use in Kingdom Hearts three, where you're like, you're like, spinning around 
um you're like, like disney rides lamp posts yeah. and and the disney rides and stuff like neku then just like launches off jet set radios his way like up a rail flips around a lamp post and then shoots off into the sky and like teaches sora how to do that and that's like mainly how you move throughout <laughs> this game is like based on like four seconds of neku showing up and teaching you how to do this and i i this is where i stopped playing so i haven't even like seen where that goes from oh no he then he then teaches you at the like pokemon mechanics of this game i forgot about that because he has he has like a cool cat that it's hanging out with him oh my god oh that might be uh that might yeah i think i might know who that cat is i can't i mean i knew they were in kingdom hearts in some way because it's both like nomura properties mm. i didn't know it was that direct i thought they were like like an easter egg somewhere that's amazing no he's he's like the first guy you meet yeah it's also as if like one person was in battle royale in like a, a scene you know it's like there's yeah. one person here who is in battle royale and everyone else is just like in a wes anderson movie yeah like what the hell <laughs> uh, i i'm i'm completely sold sign yeah. me up yeah. yeah you gotta play it i yeah. i am really honestly i think that's gonna be like one of the big games i play for the next week is just seeing what that is all about um i'm excited to play that one because i really did i mean even though you and i were were eh, on kingdom hearts 3 i do really i i have enjoyed a lot of the other like non one and two games i think yeah as much as people like goof on that series for having all of these spinoffs they are all pretty good and doing really interesting things and even the bad ones are like weird enough that i appreciate that they exist you know like like recoded yeah yeah like recoded yeah it's probably the weakest in my opinion but like birth by sleep and uh birth by sleep has definitely like that's one of my favorites i've played and i'm excited to play this one as well yeah cool uh that's kingdom hearts dream drop distance 3d amazing uh, and i would recommend checking it out and i think you'll have a good time if you do hell yeah yeah it, it, three begins like right after this one ends that's all i know about it it's yeah. like you think that three would give you like a, a cold opening of like some kind of catch up and it's like no no no. we assumed that you have finished and remembered dream drop distance recently <laughs> enough that you can just go right to yen sid's office and not have that be a jump scare <laughs> i'm pumped that sounds amazing yeah. Uh, the reason I wanted to bring that game up specifically is because of its use of the circle pad as like a second a, a second analog stick. Yeah. Um, which is a, a, maybe a fun lead into the game that you're playing, which I'm so, so curious. Yeah. About, which launched alongside the circle pad. And I remember reviews specifically saying if you don't buy the circle pad attachment for the original 3ds this is before the new 3ds had launched um for the original 3ds if you don't buy the circle pad extension uh the game is almost unplayable control-wise. <laughs> yeah so you you might know what it is but i've been playing kid icarus uprising um which i've always wanted to play i never really fully knew what it was i just knew that it was like sakurai's passion project and it was this this i think it's the only other kid icarus game other than the like the original nes one so it's like a very very like not even reboot it's like here's like a new game for this series that is right kind of remained under the radar it's written and directed by sakurai and you can immediately tell because it has the same menu as like meteos or smash so that that ui is like there it's honestly it's um that's usually his his wife isn't it who designs those yeah and i I am i think it's also the music sounds very smash adjacent as well so i wonder if it's like the same kind of core team yeah that's awesome and it's just it's just really cool to see regardless of how you feel about the game it's really cool to see that group do something other than smash totally um, which kind of makes this whole game kind of bittersweet because like it did well but like it kind of just like he went right back to smash after it came out and yeah project sora 
uh, Kingdom Hearts connection. I think also <laughs> kind of disbanded afterwards. Mm. And, you know, I, I think like Smash is also, I think, a, a passion project for Sakurai. But I think at a certain point, you know, it's it's such a burden to take on yeah. or not a burden, but like it's so huge that I was just grateful he got like a chance to like say goodbye to it and like rest after a while. Um, yeah. And his YouTube channel yeah, I mean, yeah, is awesome. This, this was before this was before the 3DS one. Before the 3DS Smash specifically is what I mean. Yeah, this um, this came out in 2012, so this is right before Smash 4. Yeah, basically. like they might have been working on them both at the same time. Probably. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. If you just need to know, like, what is Kid Icarus Uprising? I would say it's the second best Star Fox game that exists. Uh, so <laughs> what's the first best? Is it Star Fox 64? Yeah, yeah, okay. in my opinion. But this this game is essentially like. Half the game is you as Pit flying around in the sky and you aim with the stylus. It's actually very similar to a lot of like a lot of like third person shooters on the DS tried to use this where you kind of use the stylus almost as a joystick. Mm, But so you move the crosshairs around with the stylus and you fly around with the uh, circle pad, the joystick, and you fire with the L trigger. And it actually works pretty well uh, in the air. So like when you're flying, it's very kind of rail shootery, Star Foxy. Uh, you know, you're proceeding in one direction. And also this game, I, I haven't played Dream Drop Distance yet, but this is also one of the best looking 3DS games I've seen. Like the mm-hmm. the the way the scenery kind of transitions from like being in these like dark storm clouds to like, you know, heavenly scenery to then flying closer to the surface and you know like i I made the star fox connections for multiple reasons but also because one of my favorite things about star fox is just like that kind of gradual sense of momentum and change of scenery like there are some levels where you're like just in you know space and there's debris and asteroids and then some you're like kind of low to the ground like on a planet yeah Um, and in this game like you know it's in sort of a a like sword and sandal type fantasy tone Mm -hmm. but you also like get that same variety of perspectives like you're in the sky or you're like flying close to the surface and all of that is like a dream it's really fun it's really cool it's it's really simple but it's done so well and i think that's like the sign of genius in a lot of ways with game design where it's like you made this like kind of weird control scheme work pretty well and just be so joyful um and the whole time Politana and Pitt are constantly talking to each other and it's genuinely just so funny and endearing like it has that like kind of I think Star Fox is fondly remembered for the sort of like radio Star Wars chat through the various characters and you get like a slightly more comedic and like tongue-in-cheek version of that with Pitt and Politana Mm. and like I weirdly like that that has become something that I look forward to like as I as I'm like distracted and busy firing at all these weird enemies and like multi-headed dragons Politana is just like laughing at Pitt's expense or whatever it's it's a lot of (laughs) it's it's simple and it's corny but it it works really well and knowing that Sakurai wrote it all makes it just very endearing then the other half of the game is Pitt on the surface so you're actually walking around as Pitt and fighting enemies like you know in more of a like a almost God of War style thing like the oh, really? God of Wars yeah. yeah and that's where the controls are a little bit wonkier because you can move in any direction so you still have the stylus to aim where you're looking and there are arrows always telling you like where the like primary direction is mm-hmm. um but you can move in any direction but it's not like 
you it's not like when you're flying where you just move with the joystick you kind of have to like gain momentum so you can like flick it to like dash in a direction or you can hold it to kind of slowly walk so like you're kind of constantly having to like it's not a deal breaker for me but it doesn't feel as cohesive as when you're flying yeah but what's really interesting is like when you're fighting enemies there's a lot of different mechanics like if you dash and attack it suddenly feels like smash brothers where it's like you're almost playing like a third person action version of smash where like you're dashing and attacking and like kind of dodging and 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 once you kind of like pick up what sakura is putting down i do kind of see the genius behind it i just think it's a little bit like too far when Mm. you're on the ground and I, i still really enjoy it like as much as i'm thinking like oh maybe this is like a little bit too weird to control i find myself having a lot of fun still yeah but i'm always looking forward to you know flying again and and the in-game reason is that politana can only have pit fly for five minutes to how long her magic lasts yeah which goes with the whole icarus theme and then on top of all that like between levels you gain hearts as a currency and you can buy weapons and fuse them to make new ones there's also like a weird gotcha game where you can get trophies kind of similar to smash um and then there's a mode where you can just give hearts to politana and the game says this does nothing it's just like if you want to like <laughs> show your gratitude to the goddess politana which is so funny i love that. um because she's also like she has a bit of like I, I didn't I never really knew like what her vibe was. I also just knew her from Smash, but she's kind of like Hilda from Three Houses, where she just sort of like kind of loves people doing stuff for her and has that sort of like aloofness. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pitt is just like an idiot. There's a, there's a moment where you you meet like a human who's also fighting like the demon lord you're going up against, and he's just like kind of buff macho dude. And he's like, "There's a treasure chest," and Pitt's like, "I'm gonna go open that," and he's like, "Don't!" I think it's obviously a trap. Like. <laughs> It just out in the open and it was just it was me controlling pit and i opened it and he was like what are you dumb like why do you like not listen to me at all <laughs> and he was like i don't know i just like opening treasure chests it's just like really silly and really unique and i'm i'm kind of sad that like i i do hope this game gets ported to switch with maybe more accessible controls because i do think mm. there's like on one hand it's like awkward for me to play and it was definitely made for like a right-handed person in mind i feel like left-handed people will have a harder time with this just yeah. by nature of the controls and then not to mention just like I, I think with with more control options on the switch this game would have a second life to it because there's a lot to really admire about it. it's very simple it's very fun there's a lot of like collect-a-thon stuff happening and just the tone of it is really welcome in my opinion just like very silly and lighthearted in a way that i think like not to you know constantly go back to Star Fox, but that's sort of what i liked about Star Fox 64 is like that atmosphere mm-hmm. and i haven't really played like a rail shooter that that does that in tone because the only other rail shooter that i really love is like res and that's a whole other experience yeah right. <laughs> or like sinar wild hearts which is also more kind of res adjacent so i i always because you know we talked about Star Fox here and there and i'm always like there's part of me that wants that series to get a second life but like what does that even mean like what does that series do well was it just a time and place mm-hmm. and kate icarus uprising is is kind of reminding me what i loved about that series and also feels like it could very well be its own thing so i think it's worth checking out if you have a 3ds and you're like curious what sakura was up to before smash uh it's it's a lot of fun i think you would enjoy it a lot it's it's yeah. kind of a, a visual spectacle as well i have it downloaded i'm really excited to play it yeah um i have a weird question does it use the the microphone at all on the 3ds not so far i wouldn't be surprised if at some point sakurai wants us to yell 
to like beat a boss. Yeah. Um, but I just, I remember yeah. specifically, I think the reason that it added circle pad pro support was Sakurai was like really jazzed on the idea of using every piece of the 3DS. And I'm wondering where the microphone comes into yeah. that, if, if at all. I'm sure it will appear at some point, but it is just like, it's, it's cool to see his creativity like on full display here. Yeah. Um, it's, it's awesome. So it's, it's like, even though it has some flaws, like it's like really overflowing with passion, which is cool. Have you played Star Fox 64 on the 3DS? I haven't yet. I've been meaning to pick that up because I, I, I think that could be fun, especially as evidence, me enjoying this. I'm sure I would, I would love that. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious how they would compare with one another. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so excited to play this game. This is like, as soon as we decided we were going to do the 3DS thing, this is, I think the first game I downloaded. Um, and I've just been kind of like waiting excited to play it uh all, all the like charge up when you do like a charge up shot or when you like do a dash hit it feels like you're doing a smash attack like the, mm. the feeling of this game is really excellent and the variety of weapons is like like there need to be this much for there need to be <laughs> gear for this game but like right. there's a lot of customization um yeah. and there's also kind of like the later smash games whenever you do a level you can bet hearts to make it harder Oh, it will kind awesome. of auto adjust to the scale it thinks you're like set for. But if you want to make it harder, you can bet hearts to increase the difficulty, but get more rewards from it. Oh, I love that. So there's a little bit of like a score chase element as well, which is really cool. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a really cool game. I was I wasn't thinking it wouldn't be, but I wasn't sure what it was. And I'm really pleasantly surprised. Yeah, uh, that's Kid Icarus Uprising for the yeah. Nintendo 3DS. I'm, I'm really excited to play it. Um, are you playing it on the new 3DS or regular I, ha 3DS? I have a regular XL. That's that's my 3DS okay. of yeah. choice. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I will uh, play it on the new 3DS and report back. Yeah, um, that's probably the way to yeah. play it, honestly. But uh, who knows? Maybe one day we'll see it on Switch or whatever the next Switch is. Probably not, if I had to guess, but I would like to see that. The 2DS, but the S stands for Switch. <laughs> Can you imagine if they called it that? That's not out of line. I mean, the Wii U was basically that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, those are all the games. Those are all the games. Are we done? Yeah, that's it. Wow. That's the whole episode. That flew by. Yeah, it did, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, I know later we're recording the next segment of our Animal Crossing New Leaf bonus. That's probably why I thought we weren't finished, finished. But yeah, yeah. For you, um, dear listener, our time here is coming to a close. Wow. And I guess next week we'll be talking about Fire Emblem Engage, which uh, I can't believe it's like sneaking up on us. Uh, yeah. I'm really excited about that. That's going to be very interesting. Yeah. I, I think especially coming from Path of Radiance, I'm wondering if I'm giving myself future whiplash to like play <laughs> Ike's Adventure of Mercenaries and then go right into Toothpaste Land. But we'll see what happens. Yeah. I, I am interested to see how I feel about Engage. I am feeling optimistic about it personally, um, but... It is nice knowing that if it doesn't really work for me, that Path of Radiance is already sitting on my device that runs with Steam Deck. I just got your back. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think I'm going to have fun with Engage. I, I'm just curious if it will like pull me in the same way as other ones have. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what yeah. happens. Cool. Well, I guess we, I guess we should wrap up then. Uh, yeah. Is there, is there anything else you're thinking about checking out for next week? Anything you want to tease? Oh, good question. Even? I have a I have a pretty big backlog. So I have a lot of stuff that I've got on like various Steam sales on the Steam Deck. Um, and also like so I don't really know, but there, there are a lot of possibilities, which I'm excited about. So mm. we'll see. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm so enraptured in the 3DS right now that I feel like I'll probably be playing a lot of 3DS stuff this week. Um, there's another game that is just kind of like a one off that people seem to like a lot called Ever Oasis that I'm going to check out. Oh, cool. Um, I downloaded that this week. It's an action adventure role playing video game. 
developed by Grezzo, who we know as the creators, not creators, but the the people who brought Ocarina of Time 3D and Majora's Mask 3D to the 3DS. Oh. Um, along with, uh, I think, the, Luigi, the Luigi's Mansion port to 3DS as well, which, uh, if, if we all recall, I liked. And they also did Link's Awakening for... Uh, Great for, team. For Nintendo Switch. Yeah, really, really cool team. And this is like their thing this is like the thing they made that wasn't a, a licensed nintendo port you know cool. um and uh i'm just really curious like they're, they're very clear they're clearly very talented and i want to know what they would do by themselves without any input from nintendo you know like that that seems very interesting to me uh so i'm gonna check that out and uh report back but that's kind of the only thing that i'm like definitely gonna do again we're in we're in weird season it's january i have no idea where my whims are gonna take me i mean last week i didn't think i was gonna play grand turismo 7 and here I am. <laughs> another big game i have waiting for me that i think i'll probably wait on since i feel like that will be one we do together is metroid prime uh which i've never played so yeah. But I think that's going to that I feel like that has to be a bonus at some point. So I think you're totally yeah, I think you're right. And honestly, I mean, the, the two things about that are one, there's um, the uh, Prime Hack emulator that is like great on the Steam Deck. Everyone I've talked to who's played Metroid Prime on the Steam Deck, like loves that way of playing it. Um, and also, I mean, there's constant rumors about a Nintendo Direct coming this month, constant rumors about a Metroid Prime remake that's been like ready to go and could launch at any moment. So who knows? Maybe maybe that'll be maybe that'll be the thing. That'll be the time. Yeah. But uh, I'm excited to find out. I think it's interesting because I feel like you and I have a couple bonuses that we're always like ready and excited to do. Like Wind Waker and Twilight Princess are, are two games that we like really want to talk about on bonuses eventually. And I think we've both been like waiting to see if all these rumors about Nintendo launching those on the Switch ever come to fruition. And at what point do we have to like at what point do we have to kind of give up <laughs> and be like, I guess we just play this on our own instead. It's a question Ike is constantly asked throughout Path of Radiance. At what point do I stick my neck out? because he's given several outs uh throughout yeah. the journey like he anyway anyway can't get started with that but it's weirdly <laughs> similar there's been a lot of serendipity with the timing of bonuses so i yeah. think we'll know I, I think if we don't hear about it by like april that's when we just do it ourselves yeah, you know not to say right. that we'll do it in may but like i think that's when we just like all right because I, I, for me it just seems logical that like okay we now know tears of the kingdom it's funny how people still say breath of the wild 2 first even though we know the title now yeah i feel like i'll always call it breath of the wild 2, even, yeah, even when it's yeah. out yeah uh it's like when they changed the sears tower to the willis tower it's like, i'm not yeah. calling this the willis tower that comes out in may so I, I just imagine like, if there is a direct in the near future, it makes sense to have those games like kind of bridging the gap between now and when the next Zelda comes out. Mm. I do feel like and maybe this isn't the case, but I do feel like in, in the winds right now, you and I feel like like Zelda bonuses are kind of 2023's thing for some reason. I don't know why. Like we have Ocarina of Time. We were talking about maybe doing Majora's Mask at some point. The possibility of Wind Waker and Twilight Princess is always lingering if those launch on the yeah. Switch. And even if they don't, maybe we'll do them anyway. And I imagine we'll probably want to talk about Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah, I, think, I think that's that's a must. I feel uh, like this is like accidentally our, our year of talking about Zelda <laughs> games. Um, I, I'm I'm always down for that. Yeah, I'm I I mean, hey, that, yeah, same same here. I'm I'm extremely down for that. That's yeah. like a great year. Just revisiting all the all the Zelda games. It's going to be every Zelda game and Yakuza, basically. <laughs> and Yakuza <laughs> and Animal Crossing New Leaf. Yeah, yeah right. that's the theme. Uh, <laughs> yeah, find find the through line here. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like our our. Uh, 
Tim Rogers action button lead up to uh, to cyberpunk. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, To truly understand Yakuza, you need to play Animal Crossing New Leaf and then Ocarina of Time and then Wind Waker and then Majora's Mask and then Tears of the Kingdom. And then you need to play Twilight Princess and then you need to play Link's Awakening. I do think there is a connection between Animal Crossing and Yakuza. Uh, I, I don't quite see the, the Zelda yet, but maybe give me more time and I'll get back to you. <laughs> Listeners at home didn't see my eyes get so wide when you said that. <laughs> I'm just saying Club LOL feels like a Yakuza side quest. You know what I mean? I think you're completely right. <laughs> What's Dr. Shrunk up to? If anyone needs Kiryu's help, it's him. It's Dr. <laughs> you know Shrunk. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, on that note, thank you so much for listening. Into the Cast.online is the place for everything. Uh, you know the drill. I think just keep it nice and because I, I feel like we're, I feel a segue, a brewing, a bubbling, yeah. and sometimes yeah. you got to step on the bricks. If I learned anything from, from Gran Turismo and, and the Cafe Car Church, mm-hmm. is that you just got to know when to hit the bricks and, and get out of that ride. And my name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Find me at the cafe. Find me at the cafe. You usually can find me at the cafe. I'll talk to you later, everybody. Beep, beep. <laughs> Bye. See you. Garbage. The online.